Hey everyone, we are back. This is once again That Jesus Podcast. I don't even know what season we're in, but we are doing this again finally, truly without Mr. Titus Kipfer, but I have Mrs. Lissel Latin here with me and we're going to see what we can do. How's it going, Muscle? Good. Spring is finally trying to come. Yes, although we had kind of blizzard-like conditions for a few minutes today. It was today. weird. We had sunshine today, and then we had some blizzard, and we had some, yeah, it was strange weather, but it's Wisconsin. Yeah, so it's been a really intense few months for us. At the very end of my grad program, at the very end of a long winter, and wrapping up, what, five more weeks of school? Something like that. And we still want to do this podcast thing. <laughs> So I just wanted to talk about that at the outset. This is That Jesus Podcast, and I talked about trying to hand it off onto somebody, trying to get somebody to come help me with it, which we would still love help with it. So if you would like to, if you have something to say, if you have a voice you want to share, please talk to us. This is definitely a collaborative platform at this point. But from that bunny trail, I've kept thinking about this and praying about it and still feel like we have an audience people that are interested in what's going on. And for myself, as I think about that Jesus podcast, I think about how my journey in deconstruction and wrestling with teachings and scripture and church, I want to keep coming back to Jesus and figuring out what that journey looks like to not just stay looking at some of the rubble of bad things that have happened and occasionally bad teachings and say, oh, this is a bad teaching, but what's the truth? What's the good? What's, what's about Jesus? And so that's kind of what my vision is for it, which I still think kind of ties in with Titus's vision of his five mere devotion things. Looking forward to seeing where he takes all of that. But yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking and we'll see where it goes. We'll keep talking about that in the coming weeks, but You were kind of one of the ones that kept telling me not to drop this. So why in the world would you tell your husband not to let go of a hobby when he's already too busy? Because you need something to think about other than, I don't know, the really stressful work situation you've had. You, you, Everybody needs a hobby. Everybody needs something to think about and inspire them outside of the hard stuff in life. And... I don't know, you've, you've, you have filled your life so much the last, well, it was kind of a crazy year because you had the grad program finishing up. And I just kind of slowly watched the dr- life drain out of you as you... Without podcasting, with, I die. <laughs> yeah. You need an outlet. And you really enjoy podcasting and it's good. It gets you into the word with nothing else. And I think it's important. Yeah, Lissel, the correct answer is because I want you to change lives. Oh. <laughs> I want you to change lives. <laughs> I don't like... No, we, we don't have any illusions of maybe, quote-unquote, changing people's lives, but I've continued to have been impacted and changed by some of the voices we've had on the past three years or so, and some of the people that we're in conversation with and that we'll be talking with in the coming weeks maybe won't change our lives, but they can make a difference. And sometimes it'll be just deconstruction-y stuff, but ultimately I really want to keep pushing back to pushing back toward Jesus. So we're going to start with Bible study again. Mm -hmm. I I think something that just came to me as you were 
talking about deconstruction and just talking about thinking about some of the on my own walk in the last while. I think one of the concerns that can come up on a personal level mm-hmm. is when you're doing deconstruction, which I'm not saying that some of like that it's not necessary, but when you can deconstruct to the point that you lose your curiosity about who Jesus is and like what actually is, then then you have nothing left. And so I think part of the the big picture of that Jesus podcast should be a curiosity about who Jesus is. Yeah. Yeah. Like like And I like how you phrase that as um like a curiosity about who Jesus actually is. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we spend so much time about talking like, well, Jesus isn't like this and he's not like that. What people say here isn't necessarily the truth. We forget that Jesus is good and that he's what we're building our lives on and he's our source of truth and he's a good shepherd. Yeah. I had a friend on Facebook. I've never met him before. He reached out to me just randomly and he said, on an unrelated note, we were talking about memes, I'll confess. And then he comes back and he says, on an unrelated note, do you have any advice for transitioning in a relationship with God from head knowledge to heart or resources on that? And I didn't respond to him. It's sitting here and I haven't <laughs> answered yet. Partially because I was busy and it kind of just got lost in the the electronic detrius of my life. Can you read the question again? But also because I don't, I didn't have like a quick snappy answer. I don't think he wanted that. So the question he asked was, do you have any advice for transitioning in a relationship with God from head knowledge to heart or resources on that? I have a quick snappy answer. What's your quick snappy answer, Lussell? The Holy Spirit. That's not something man can do. Okay, so how do you do the Holy Spirit? <laughs> well, I didn't really mean to get personal, but I've I've had in the last... I mean, I've had that experience just in the new year where I'm like, I actually had to ask God to do that for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't I don't think that's something you can try hard enough to do. I I don't disagree with you. And I wasn't actually. I'm not to... saying that there's not. There aren't practical steps we take to put ourselves in that place. But ultimately, it's a gift. Yeah, it is a gift. Well, it kind of gets to the the passage I wanted to end with in our Bible study today, which is Paul reminding Timothy to stir up the gift that has been given to him. And that, that is the Spirit of God that was given to him. And we, we'll look at that a little bit at the end. But it's a gift, right? It's the gift of the Holy Spirit that moves it from the head to the heart. And yet it's something we can also stir up. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's part of what this podcast continues to be about. I think Titus would be proud of that. <laughs> but Because I know one thing that both of us have done and we've done with our family lately, and this will be no surprise to those of you who listened to our last episode before this one, is doing the daily office, the Book of Common Prayer, and incorporating that into just our, our morning mm-hmm. wake-up ritual. And it doesn't even happen every day, and I'd like it to happen more often. What I usually do is, I get about two-thirds of the way through it on my way to school. Mm -hmm. But that is a reminder. It's a stirring up of the gift of the Holy Spirit that I think can make a real difference for me. Yeah, the the kids 
like to wake up to that. It's the morning wake up call. I'm gonna turn that on. The only the only thing is is that if I'm gonna play it, it's a twenty minute. Yeah. And so I actually have to make sure I turn it on early enough because they're not doing anything if that thing's playing. It's like, no, we're not. Yeah. The whole morning just kind of wakes up slowly and everybody's listening and there's no quick do this and quick do this. And I I think it's kind of funny that we have our six-year-old asking us to play or he's not ready to do this or that or go get dressed because he is listening because it's not like the guy reading the the prayers is you know veggie tales this is no phil vischer production no, but they do <laughs> listen to it and you know you have it's fairly repetitive yes and so you know there are, there are phrases that the children are listening to picking up on and like it becomes part of their memory like it's it's memory work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so that's a really good question and I, i'm going to reach out to the the gentleman that that asked me that question i will do that and maybe share this episode with him but i think there's more work that can be done in giving some advice while also realizing it's different for each person some people are really turned off by something like the the repetition and roteness of the daily office and there's nothing wrong with that. Hmm. Some people love, I went through a season where I loved doing daily Bible reading and reading through the Bible in a year. And for me that I, now that just really feels like a, a heavy weight. Mm-hmm. So, But speaking of the Bible, shall we turn toward our study? This is something we did. I, I should have pulled up the episodes. Maybe I'll post, post the numbers in our When theme. was the last time? Yeah, it was when, months and months and months ago. Like it was summer, wasn't it? Yeah, and we're kind of, probably boring like we like talking to each other but (laughs) like so i kind of felt like those weren't our highest quality as as you know titus r.i.p we used to say he didn't actually die babe kind of little part of me died as titus Titus used to say you know i didn't really feel like it was necessarily all audio gold but um i did have two people reach out and say they really enjoyed it so we'll keep doing it and i'll learn to talk less and and Listen I don't more. need to talk more. Yeah, I don't know if you need to talk more, but I feel like I need to talk. That's going to be interesting. What's going to fill the podcast. space? <laughs> so anyhow, we started through the book of Judges and just did a couple episodes walking through the story of Deborah and the background of Judges and some of the junk drawer of Judges like Othniel and Ehud. And we're getting to one of the most famous Judges now in Judges 6. We have Gideon. So Judges chapter 6 starts with kind of another transition section telling us about the Israelites again doing that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian and they literally had to hide in mountains and caves. And then the Midianites and Amalekites would come and attack them and the Israelites had nothing to eat, etc., etc., etc. But all that happening, this is very familiar if you've read the book of Judges. It is what we call the, what do we call it? The cycle of apostasy. I, yeah, that was a new term that you and the kids sprung on me in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, the cycle of apostasy, because it happens over and over again. And it's this gradual drifting away from God to idols mm-hmm. over weeks, months, decades, and generations. And so when the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet. So this is before Gideon. There's another prophet coming. And he said, I brought you out of slavery and out of the place of out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. This is verse nine of Judges six. 
I rescued you from the power of Egypt and from the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. They know this story. They don't need to, like, be reminded of it, but I guess they do, right? I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Don't fear the gods, the Amorites, whose land you live in. But you did not obey me. And that's where the story of Gideon starts. So it's interesting as we move then to verse 11 in the story here. There's not really like God promising I'm going to deliver you. He just kind of leaves them hanging. And then through no particular rhyme or reason that I can tell, an angel of the Lord comes and sits down where Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press, which, as we all know, we don't thresh our wheat in our wine press usually, do we? <laughs> That's next year's homesteading project. <laughs> oh, dear. It's too cold to grow wheat up here. We do have grapes. I can grow wheat. You can? Yeah. Okay. Where would you thresh it if you had to? That's a very Sunday school teacher question. <laughs> and- You'd have to build a wine press. <laughs> Yeah, we're missing the point. He was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to, drum roll, hide it from the Midianites. And I love this idea. Maybe you can tell me if I, what this means, Lissel. The angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak. He just sat there. I don't, I don't understand why it specifies that he sat there. What verse? Verse 11 of chapter 11. 6. And, and it's like he was just like hanging out there waiting for Gideon to show up. And then the angel of the Lord appears to him. I don't know. It's just this totally chill vibe, if I can say that, about the angel of the Lord doing everything in his time. And Gideon shows up and and then he says, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior. So so what are your thoughts as, as we're introduced to Gideon? Well, he was, well, if you go on into verse 13, he's very confused about what's going on like if the lord's with us why is this going on why is this happening and i don't know i think we've all been there i mean i know i've been there in the middle of a situation it's like god why is this happening and then you know as as life goes on you look back at it and you're like well no duh of course that happened i mean as you get more of the story and when you're one person in the story and you happen to be part of it in a way that yeah like it's not like all the guilt was on Gideon and so it feels very unjust when a community is being punished or bearing the repercussions of sin when maybe you personally weren't the one who was committing the sin Yeah, it is very personal. And I think I took a little slightly less charitable view than saying that Gideon was confused. He almost seems a little indignant at the idea that the Lord is with him. He's like, no. But you've been there. Like, I've yeah, been there. Yeah. Like, like, God, if you're here, then show up already. Exactly. I do like that the angel of the Lord doesn't start by giving Gideon something to do he starts by telling Gideon who he is it's not like I need you to go do this thing he's like no actually you're a valiant warrior and Yahweh is with you 
it's it's giving Gideon an identity before even telling him what to do. And then, mm-hmm. like you said, Gideon's like, no, I'm not actually a valiant warrior that the Lord is with. Yeah. I, I kind of like that the Lord doesn't argue with him. He doesn't actually, like start to explain, oh, don't you remember you guys are in the cycle of apostasy and you rejected me? Mm-hmm. He just kind of doubles down and says, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of, grasp of Midian. I am sending you. And and once again, it's all this very direct, and I don't know any Hebrew, but it's very direct, present tense type stuff. Go in the strength you have. Not, I'm going to give you strength when you need it, but you have strength now. And I am, you know, present continuous tense, sending you to do this. So from this moment on, Gideon has a mandate. Yeah, and his feelings were not true. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's a theme throughout the whole story, Mm -hmm. that his feelings weren't actually the truth. And even what he saw wasn't always the truth. What are you referring to? Well, he says that they, and I'm jumping ahead here, but they, they see this insurmountable enemy and they're like, they look like locusts covering. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and he's like, we have, what did it end up being? 3,500, 300, no, 300 men. Yeah. And that was obviously not enough, but he can't trust his, his math skills and his skills as a quote unquote general. He has to trust Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's told to, to go and he doesn't really explain quite what this means but just that i'm going to deliver you from the grasp of midian gideon again pushes back and says how can i deliver israel and this is interesting he's again arguing about identity he's arguing about who he is and he throws back the lord says you're a mighty warrior and gideon throws back and says i am the weakest in manasseh and i'm the youngest in my father's family so he's actually like making an argument here And the Lord says, I will be with you. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Do you think there's like a little bit of irony there? The Lord is talking to one man. And he says, you, one man, are actually going to treat them as if they were one man. Yeah. And so then, of course, this is the, this is, I think, what I grew up knowing Gideon most for. Gideon asks for signs. And so Gideon's first sign is, I want you to, I want you to accept this gift. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. The angel of the Lord says, I will wait. And Gideon goes and cooks up some food and brings it back. I think it's interesting that, so God is like, this is who you are and this is what I want you to do. And Gideon's like, actually, this is who I am. And... It's like the Gideon's truth, which was true, was totally beside the point mm-hmm. when God had a mandate. And so not only were his feelings not the truth, his truth wasn't the truth that he was going to walk in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, a famous and not always, well, definitely not a, a nine nonviolent peace loving political commentator that some that is kind of famous for this line facts don't care about your feelings and he kind of likes to think of himself as this like you know fast talking truth truth spitting jew that just tells people what it's like and he's like facts don't care about your feelings facts don't care about your feelings and it's like 
I think God is one upping him and saying, I don't care about what you perceive to be your facts or your feelings. Mm -hmm. You are a mighty warrior, Gideon. Yeah, but the thing is, is that God actually still cared about him. Yes. Like, it wasn't like you don't count because you don't have your facts or your feelings straight. It's like... God is willing to stoop to yeah. his level and yeah. to his fears. It wasn't even like like God said his facts and feelings were invalid. It's just that he had bigger facts and bigger feelings than yeah. Gideon did. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And so... The what does what does the angel of the Lord do actually with the offering he brings? I'm sorry, I'm... I think it's verse twenty one. The angel of the Lord extended the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. That was kind of a dramatic. Dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. I hope he didn't get the seasoning just right and was like, oh, this is, you know, three Michelin star meal here. And then it's like, so, but I kind of thought it was interesting. And maybe it's because I lived in a country where they made food offerings to the spirits all the time. That the ants ate. Yeah, that the ants ate, not the, not the sisters. And the rats and, yeah. Geckos, yeah. And sometimes if you weren't looking, the kids would like want to take sips of the Kool-Aid. Anyhow. But it's like God doesn't need the offering. It's not that mm. Gideon's bringing this to, to the angel of the Lord and saying, oh, good, I was hungry. Thanks a lot. It's like, I don't need this, but I'm here to give you a sign. Mm. I'm here to confirm that I'm with you. And so this isn't about you giving me something that I need. This is about me giving you a confirmation that you're asking for. Yeah. And so then, of course, this is a really pivotal switch. Um, he goes from talking to the angel of the Lord to talking with the, excuse me, he goes from talking with the angel of the Lord to talking with the Lord himself. When Gideon realized that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, no longer the angel of Yahweh, but Yahweh himself said to him, peace be to you. Don't be afraid for you will not die. And so Gideon built an altar there. And then we have the first step he takes. Starting starting in the next section, verse twenty five. Do you wanna do you wanna read a bit of that story? So on that very night, the Lord said to him, oh, "I'm gonna kind of skim it because we're not gonna have time to read everything." He t- told him to take the bowls, and we thought it was interesting when it when we were reading it earlier as a family because he talks about take the young bull and the second bull, seven years old, and tear down the altar of the bale that belongs to your father, and cut down the ashes. Asherah pole beside it. Build a well-constructed altar to the Lord your God on top of this mound. Take the second bullet for as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. And so then the discussion was, well, what did they use the first bull for? And the I I immediately thought the first bull was to pull that thing. The he it was used as a as muscles. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how big the Asherah pole is, but it was enough to to burn a cow on. As a sacrifice, uh-huh. right? So there must yeah. have been some quality wood in there. Yeah. So maybe he needed the the muscles, like you said. I don't know. So then the men of the city got up in the morning and... Oh, wait. I have to... You have to pot. Well, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. What? Well, I think this is really important because Gideon just gets done saying he's whining or complaining or bring his fears to God. Maybe whining and complaining is too strong. But he's saying that, oh, you know, we're the least tribe and I'm the youngest. 
but he has two cows like available and his dad has an Asherah pole. Mm-hmm. His dad has the altar of Baal that belongs to your father. And then it says that he has 10 male servants. He took 10, ten of, of his them. male servants. Yeah. And, and so the youngest of the family of this weakest tribe actually has access to all this stuff, to two idols, mm-hmm. two bulls, and, you know, a minimum of 10. Maybe his, his truth was more feelings as well. Exactly. And, and maybe he didn't even realize what he did have. And he's just mm-hmm. kind of sitting there saying, oh, I'm I'm nothing. And he actually needed to, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but, you know, not to think too much of him, not to think too little of what he had at hand either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, and then the men come, men get up and they are not happy about it. Mm-hmm. And then Josh, Josh's dad sticks up for him there and says, or Joash is the dad, yeah. Yeah, Joash is the dad, yeah. Joash, his dad, who is his dad, however you say that. Would you plead Baal's case for him? Would you save him? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead his own case because someone tore down his altar. That day he was called Jerubbaal. Jerubbaal. Since Joash said, let Baal contend with him. because he. What does Jerubbaal mean? Did you look that up? You know, I forgot to look that up. I think it means something like contending with Baal. Okay. Yeah. You guys can correct us if we're wrong. <laughs> and and yeah, so his not not only does he have 10 male servants, not only does he have two bulls available to him, but his dad stands up for him. And I don't know, I think that means a lot cuz he's direct like he's tearing down his dad's Yeah, idol. I think that's interesting because often when you have somebody is tearing someone else's idol down, stealing their idol whatever, that often does not like <laughs> endear you to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the idols were not something you wanted to have show up missing on you, and yeah. it was almost like it was more of a status symbol that he didn't mind seeing go anyway or something. You know, and I don't want to get too preachery here, but that's my brand, I guess. You and I both know cases where we've been hesitant to speak up and do something to call something out that didn't seem right or to offer advice to somebody. And then when we actually did it, they were right there with us. Mm-hmm. And we were actually on the same page together and they were so thankful that we said something. Mm-hmm. Now, trust me, there have been plenty of times where I've given advice and it wasn't appreciated. <laughs> but those times where I feel like God is prompting me to take a courageous step and speak with someone and then they come back and they're like, yeah, I've got your back. Yeah, I actually mm-hmm. appreciate that. That's what I see here with Gideon and his dad, where Gideon takes a step to tear down his dad's idols, literally. And his dad, you know, tacitly, I'm probably reading too far into it, but it's almost like his dad's like, thanks, son. I'm glad you took that step. Well, the other thing is, is, if you think about the kind of guy that Gideon was, and he did do this at night, which is, yeah. he's, <laughs> He's he is a timid, not he's probably not a terribly outspoken. Yeah, yeah, we know sure. he's timid, he's scared, he's shy. And any dad who sees his son, who knows his son well, and sees his son make a step like that, I mean, you you almost think that maybe Joash knew something was up. Knew something was up. Like he realized that something was going on. With his son. With his son. Sure. 
And we just had the prophet, I don't know how long before, but, you know, maybe Joash had heard the prophet too, and he knew that something needed to change in his life, but he needed some, you know, cowardly youngest baby in the family to be the catalyst for that change. Yeah. And that kind of ties into, oh, I'm going to jump ahead of the fleece for just a minute because that's what Gideon does. Jerob Baal does in chapter seven is he brings together the whole army and all of a sudden he has, what is it? 23,000 people, 23,000 people. That's a lot of folks that, that are like, yeah, we can do this. And I just, all of a sudden one guy stands up. I mean, he's kind of, he's kind of forced into it, but he does it. And he has all these people saying, yep, you're right. And we want to stand with you. Yeah. Of course. And, and we we can talk. I'm, I'm trying to decide if we should get back to the, the fleece, but let's, let's come back to the fleece in a minute. It, it, chapter seven, of course, God says, you have too many people here. You actually have too many volunteers and I need you to, to cut it down a bit. Of course, the reason he says that is very clear. He wants, where's that verse, Lissel? Yeah, I know. Verse 2 of chapter 7. You have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them, or else Israelite, Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, I saved myself. Mm-hmm. God doesn't mind having people use their resources, people step up, but he doesn't want people to elevate themselves above him. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of what we see here. Yeah, and I think I, I was I wrote this question down earlier. Why did God say there were too many? Is it bad to have resources? And then this kind of basic question, which maybe is tongue in cheek, but what's God's threshold for too many? My own strength saved me, and then you have too many. Yeah, you can't. And I, I've sometimes heard folks emphasizing this sort of ostentatious humility, <laughs> like, "Oh, I have nothing, and I, I can't." hardly do anything apart from the strength of God. And it does say that, you know, the spirit of God enveloped Gideon. I get that. Although the false humility is kind of off-putting. Yeah. It's not that, again, I'm repeating myself. It's not that we have too many resources, but that our resources make us feel like we don't need God. Mm -hmm. So he whittles it down first to 10,000. And then like somebody should run the numbers here, like the ratios from, 23,000 to 10,000 and then from 10,000 to 300 like that is a massive reduction (laughs) Uh, do you have any other thoughts on the whole reducing of of military might there no we we were trying to decide tonight with the kids if why he chose lapping over how how does it say let me read that quick Gideon brought the troops down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog. Do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. The number of those who lapped with their hands to their mouths was 300 men, and all the rest of the troops knelt to drink water. And the Lord said, I'm going to deliver you with the 300 men. Mm-hmm. And so. <laughs> and so I grew up with this theory that God chose the 300 because these were the shrewdest, smartest soldiers who would never like lay down prostrate to get get to the water, but instead were always at the ready and they were just like pulling a little bit of water into their mouths by lapping. Yeah, but then then you're back on 
I did this by my own strength stuff. I was chosen from my superior water drinking skills. Yes. I think I chose the 300 because it happened to be the fewest who drank that way. And I think we don't truly know. Yeah, exactly. But definitely God, God wanted just a few. Yep. So this is not, well, let, let's go back and we're going to, we're going to, I think we're going to break off here. He has another sign he's going to get to and a, and I love that sign. Maybe we'll end with that, but let's back up to the story of the two fleeces. He had his first sign where the food was consumed by the fire. And then he just goes to God and I love that he goes to God, right? And he says, God, if you will deliver Israel by me, as you said, I will put a wool fleece here on the threshing floor. And he wants the dew to be on the fleece and the ground around it dry. And then that exactly happened. Verse 39 of chapter 6, he's like, don't be angry with me. Let me speak one more time. Allow me to make one more test with the fleece. Let the fleece remain dry and the dew all over it be ground. Or the dew be all over the ground. That night God did as getting requested. Only the fleece was dry and dew was all over the ground. So this means that God honored his request, right? And this means that we should put out fleeces to to test God to make sure he's with us, right? She's looking. This is kind of a pet peeve of I mine. Really, <laughs> I really don't think it was. We're just here. This is a story of how it happened. And to read into what we should or should not do is a little bit. Well, the, the truth is, is this very human nature coming out here and God was him and remembered that he is dust. Yeah. No, and I, I think at once upon a time I might have said, oh, this is a sign of a lack of faith and we shouldn't, like, not just being frustrated with people who would teach that fleeces are things we should do, but maybe being a little dismissive of the whole process. I, I don't think that's quite fair because God did honor it. He had faith, and then Jesus comes in the New Covenant and says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and Gideon had faith, you know, the size of a wet fleece or something. I think that, I think probably for a lot of people who have been in situations where they're really looking for guidance, would get this. Yeah. Like, when, like God was asking Gideon to do something pretty big and pretty outlandish. And maybe not be so critical of him needing that sign until you've been in that kind of a situation yourself. Yeah. I think it does give another point. And we, we walked through in our previous two episodes on judges, just different exegetical fallacies, ways we sometimes misinterpret scripture. Mm. And I think this kind of highlights it, where people take a description from the book of Judges and make it a principle to guide our life without really any other support yeah. in other places. And so if you're living your Christian life as if like with, with fleeces all the time, like, God, if you want me to park in this parking space, you know, make a robin fly by, things yeah. like that, <laughs> you're probably doing it wrong. You're probably taking a description in scripture mm -hmm. and making it a principle or an obligation that you live by. And this, this is not a, teaching thus shall you do your life this is a description of one man's journey with god mm -hmm. and in some ways if we can look at people's it's a whole lot more meaningful 
to read the stories in the Bible and realize that these are real people with real mm. struggles and this is what this is this was what their walk looked like there's it feel for me there's more power in that than trying to read all the stories in the in the Bible as prescriptive because you can't be all those people yep your walk isn't going to look like all that and so you're scratching for a walk with God like Gideon had and God wants you to have your walk and yeah it kind of gets back to what you're saying about kind of a curiosity about God and what he wants to do in your life mm -hmm. I, I do want to look at his we could call this the fourth sign I guess where he doesn't even ask for it and this is this is in Judges 7 starting in verse 15 or verse uh, verse 9, nine. it's he doesn't ask for it. It's not something that God was obligated to do for Gideon, not that he was previously. It's not like he was obligated to do this or Gideon was begging and pleading for it. God knew Gideon's heart. God knew what he needed. And so God looked down in love with for Gideon and knowing that God wanted to accomplish his purposes. And so the Lord says, get up and attack the camp for I have handed it over to you. But if you are afraid to attack the camp, go down with Pura, your servant. Listen to what they say, and then you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. Like, God deliberately set him up to be encouraged. I think it's interesting that the Midianite who heard the dream, you know, kind of jumping ahead, but mm -hmm. so the man had a dream, told his friend the dream, and his friend said, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash. So how did this man know who Gideon was? Well. I mean, compared to the the m massive army covering the hills, the Midianites, 23,000 men probably still looks pretty small. But you can't gather 23,000 people together without Somebody people from noticing. The, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> that must have been a pretty restless right, rest of the night for them. Usually when our kids have a bad dream, we like tell them something peaceful and send them quietly to bed for a night of peace this guy basically made it more terrifying he's mm -hmm. like god has handed the entire midianite camp over to gideon to a man with a sword mm -hmm. so god sits there leans in and gives encouragement to gideon that's i, I just love that yeah so we know how it ends no there shouldn't be a need for a spoiler alert here Gideon bows his head in worship when he's encouraged from the Lord. That's cool. And then he says, get up, for the Lord has handed the Midianite camp over to him. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies and gave each man a ram's horn in one hand and an empty pitcher with a torch inside it in the other. And again, I've heard lots of people trying to kind of analyze what was happening here. It doesn't really tell us. Was this Gideon's idea or was this God? Was the spirit enveloping him, him and giving him the strategy? Probably. But he says... Watch me and do what I do. He's a leader. And then he says, shout out after you blow your ram's horns for the Lord and for Gideon. And tell me if I missed something important in my skimming here. Mm -hmm. They did exactly this. They blew their ram's horn and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. The three companies blew their ram's horn and shattered their pitchers. They held their torches in their left hands and what their ram's horns to blow in their right hands. I am reading the CSB. What am I reading? The CSB. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> You're reading different than I am. 
I don't have any ram's horns. I have trumpets. Okay, I think I have the most updated version. They tweaked it just they a little bit. They did it again? So there's the HCSB, the CSB, and then there's <laughs> this super CSB? No, the and like the CSB, the ESV, the NIV, I'll do little tweaks. But yeah, ram's horn or trumpets. <laughs> um, the, the trumpet is, is a little more interpretive. I think I have the most recent one. I think they're trying to keep it a little bit more literal when they said, let's go back to saying ram's horns. Okay. I Sorry, I noticed this in church last Sunday. I'm like, what? Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, we are a Christian Standard Bible loving home here, although we won't hold it against you if you read the King James. A little bit if you read the ESV, but not really. And But one of my frustrations is that they do like tweak it. I'm reading from my computer, and it's the most recent version from... When do we get to settle down and... Mm. I they they say that this should be the final, the final revision. Yeah, well, I already have this Bible, and I'm not yeah. getting it. I don't think that the story changes that much mm-hmm. when you go from ram's horn to. <laughs> I was just. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a total rabbit trail. <laughs> and this podcast is not brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, so um, they shout a sword for the Lord, and for Gideon, they take their trumpets or ram's horns, etc., etc., etc. When Gideon's men blew their 300 ram's horns, which <laughs> there must have been quite the run on, on ram's horns, the Lord caused the men and the whole army to turn on each other with their swords. And this is the big thing for me, and I think this is where we'll kind of wrap up. And we're going to have to pick up the kind of the sad ending of Gideon in another episode. But they blew the trumpets, and the Lord caused the men and the whole army to turn on each other with their swords. So I don't get that. Well, but that's the point. Doesn't it was it's not it's not yeah, it was did the Lord use the chaos caused by all of a sudden the perimeter of the camp lighting up with these horns and the, the yeah. torches? Maybe, but it says that the Lord did it. Yeah. And that's the that's the important thing is from start to finish, this was what the Lord brought. So and what the Lord did. So yeah, what are your final thoughts on that chunk of the story? I was chapter eight is interesting. Yeah, chapter. See, we always forget chapter eight because, well, there's some less flattering things that happen there with the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. But we'll hit that next yeah. time. Anytime I read this passage, I or this chat, this story, I always have to tie it back to another man who seemed kind of timid. You know, hundreds and hundreds of years later, Timothy, who was called by God. He was a young man discipled by Paul. And he was supposed to be like a pastor, a teacher, working in apostolic ministry at times. And Paul writes a letter to him, Second Timothy chapter 1. And he feels like he has to say this to Timothy. Maybe he doesn't have to, but it's this kind of encouragement. You have what it takes. And, and I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, but let me read it again. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. It's it's really powerful to me, and this verse has been pretty special to me over the years because it's a reminder that the Holy Spirit is with us. And it's not... You know, you can debate theologically whether having fear at times is a sin or not. I don't think it's something we have to feel guilty of when we do have these moments of fear, when we do have these moments of questioning. Of course, if we live in that, if we foster it, if we nurture it, that's a problem. 
But the answer to fear is the spirit of power and love and sound sound judgment or a sound mind. And that's what Gideon was ultimately given by God too. Um, and of course, Gideon was enveloped by the spirit of God. But we actually have the spirit of God living within us right now. I just randomly thinking about the question that you had talked about on your Facebook friend. And one of the things that stands in our way sometimes, like thinking about fear and such, is this like getting it from our head to our heart. And sometimes sometimes it all this idea that we can't like where is God and we can't quite reach him that actually is all in our head like the the only thing standing between me and that relationship with God is my belief that there's something that and so whether like if there's fear in the way it's like wait that that's just one it's a mindset that's my problem yeah yeah, it's grabbing a hold of what you already have. Yeah. And I think you said it really well. Like, so often it's like, what am I going to do? I don't feel close to God. Well, start praying and reading your Bible. Now, that can sound a little bit trite. Yeah, that does sound really but, trite. But literally, that's what we have done that's helped us. Yeah. Something like having somebody read the Bible to us in the mornings. Yep. So, yep. yeah, well. Thanks for listening. If you got this far, we'll get better at this. And I don't know. I was encouraged reading the story of Gideon. And it was nice having you on, Lassell. We will have more episodes coming down the road. I would like to promise weekly, but I am definitely not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we should get through the last six weeks of school before you think about making promises. Yeah. And once again, I would love to hear from folks. Our WhatsApp, my WhatsApp will be on this episode. Send me voice messages and we can play them on the podcast. Questions. I do not claim to have answers to your life questions and need for wisdom, but I do have lots of Bible resources and I love digging into scripture and we can we can talk over some of the like like I should have known. What does Jeroboam mean? Like I could find that out for you and tell you. So so do reach out with questions, thoughts, ideas. And if you want to work with us in podcasting, let us know. One final note to my Patreon folks. I am currently locked out of my Patreon account. <laughs> and I'm actually trying to close down the Patreon. So I think there are about three or four of you left that are still hanging on, waiting for lots of juicy Patreon goodness that's not coming. And I so appreciate the support and so appreciate the encouragement. Um, I can't handle the pressure of knowing that people are paying money to have me produce content. So feel free to close your account down and quit deducting the five bucks or 10 bucks. And maybe down the road, we'll find a way to monetize this and make it something bigger and better. But for the time being, as Lissell said, this is a good step for my mental health, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just, but I would like it to stay as a good step for your mental health. Yeah, and the pressure of, of Patreon money coming in actually makes it worse. So we will get the last the last monies out of the account. And if you want a refund, you can reach out with that too. I think I can do that. But I, 
I have to hit Titus up every time for the, the passcode. So yeah. it's a long story. He Anyhow. made it complicated on purpose. No, it's it's all about security. So thank you for supporting us. Thank you for tuning in again after a long hiatus to That Jesus Podcast. And we'll look forward to sharing again. That Jesus Podcast is part of the Kingdom Outpost Podcast Network. For more articles, podcasts, and other resources, go to kingdomoutpost.org.